Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Greetings, friends. I'm Margita Guerrera, and I am here with Erica Di Pasquale. Erica is an assistant editor at HarperCollins Children's Books and a member of the HarperCollins Union, and she has been on strike since November 10th. Here at Feminist Book Club, we are very pro-worker and strongly support the folks on the strike line. This strike, however, has not been getting a ton of press, which is predictable and unfortunate. So let's do something about that, shall we? Erica, before we get into the details and actionable ways that folks can support you, why don't you tell us a little bit about your... Thank you so much for having me and for talking about the HarperCollins Union strike. So I'm an assistant editor at Harper Children's. I've been at HarperCollins for five and a half years. It's a dream come true to work with books. It's something I always wanted to do, and it is just as rewarding as I wanted to be wanted it to be. And I've yeah, I've been on strike for almost three months with almost 250 of my colleagues. And yeah, I mean that's that's who I am. <laughs> what we're doing. HarperCollins is the only publisher among the Big Five that is unionized. It's something I think people don't really consider is that even non-unionized workers can benefit from the work being done by unions. Unions can help set the standard for acceptable work conditions. Could you tell us a little bit about what you all are striking for? Yes, I can. Our main three proposals that are remaining on the table are higher salaries, most significantly raising the minimum salary from $45,000 to $50,000 which sounded like a livable wage back in December 2021 when we started negotiating and now doesn't even feel like it's a livable wage, but that's what's on the table. We're also striking for union security, which means that we're hoping to get an agency shop instead of an open shop. Right now, anyone can is represented by the union in a union job, whether they pay dues or not. And we would like it to be that You have to pay dues to be represented by the union. And if you don't want to be part of the union, you pay an agency to not be a part of the union. And this would ensure that our union can continue on and continue to support all of the amazing workers that it that it does help and support. And we're also fighting for diversity protection language in our contract, which is super important to every single person on our picket line. And I feel also involved in the higher pay as well as the union security because the way that we can make ensure that our workforce is diversified and that we are doing what we can for our diverse workforce is to make sure that we we can all survive on our salaries and we have healthy working conditions. Yeah, I many, many years ago well graduated with a degree in writing and lit and I the next step that I wanted to take was to work in publishing. But it was the pay is dismal. And I couldn't find a way to make that work for me. And I know that I'm not the only person that's found themselves in that position. I know that it is challenging and the places that publishing houses are set up are extraordinarily expensive parts of the country. So asking for even a starting wage of $50,000 seems like it's, it's still, you know, I mean, setting aside in the inflation that's happened in the last, you know, two years, it still doesn't feel like enough. Exactly. I 
five and a half years ago when I started, I started at $35,000. And that is unthinkable to me right now. But, you know, I had help from my family. I grew up in the New York City area. I was able to live at my parents' house. And all of those privileges are why I've been able to stay in the industry for five and a half years. If I didn't have those those options, it would not be possible for me. And that's why a lot of people either like you decide not to continue with their pursuit of a publishing career or they start in publishing and then they leave for a different industry where they can support themselves. And what's ridiculous is that our books do make money. Like we work for a very big company and people we work with are very wealthy at the, at the top. And so it, it's so aggravating that, that, you know, a small percentage of our company can be so wealthy when there's so many of us living paycheck to paycheck and not able to support ourselves on our salaries when we're working just as many hours as anyone else and creating the actual books that are in the products that are making the money. Yeah, that inequity is quite intolerable. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> what, what has been the response from HarperCollins thus far? There's been no response from HarperCollins until last Wednesday when our federal mediator called both tables, both parties to the table. And so we have our first mediation meeting this Wednesday on February 1st. And that is that will be the first time that we'll be in conversation with HarperCollins directly since November 2nd. So we've been on speak for almost three months with hearing absolutely nothing there. We've gathered through the messaging that they've been putting out to people that we work with, like agents and authors, that they're trying they're trying to ignore that we're on strike and kind of starve us out. But luckily, we have really high morale. We know that what we're doing is the right thing. And it's it's not an option for us to just give up and on what what we need because we we need the things that we're asking for. None of us are trying to get rich, not that we could get rich in the $50,000 work. <laughs> We're just asking to be able to pay our bills and and to be able to go to the dentist and and take care of our families. And we don't have that option with the salaries that we are making. And, and we need to, and sh- we're doing what we can, which is banding together and, and demanding what we deserve in order to ensure that we and all the people who come after us in publishing are never in this position again, hopefully. Yeah, I would, and I would argue that it's really challenging to diversify your workforce if the wage that you're paying really excludes people who have grown up in communities that are historically underprivileged, where there isn't a lot of excess financial support or the ability to to send folks to a job where they're not going to be able to pay their exactly. The pay is a huge barrier to diversifying our workforce, and I would say it's biggest problem in book publishing. I think, how are we supposed to have diverse books if we don't have a diverse workforce? This is directly impacting the media around us that everyone's consuming. And it it's such a, to me, such a simple fix that like the money is there. It's just in the wrong pockets. And, and by changing that entry-level salary and and diversifying our workforce, we'll have better books, we'll have more diverse books, and we'll be representing 
a much wider audience than publishing has been able to thus far. Definitely. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went on strike with my union. I, I'm a union employee. And it was absolutely grueling. It was exhausting work. But it also bonded me to my fellow workers and to the community in ways I didn't expect. We had strangers bringing us tea. It was like rainy Pacific Northwest autumn, you know. People brought us tea. They dropped off snacks. We had some people drive by and were like pretty shitty. But for the most part, the response we got from the community was really positive. And we weren't on strike for nearly the length of time you all have been. What ways can the book community show up for you and help support you and the other strikers? Thank you for asking. We've had such incredible support and we're always open to more. So thank you for everyone who has supported thus far. If you're interested in supporting, you can come to our picket line Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 2.30 if you're in the New York City area. You can sign our letter of support, which is on our link tree. And that link is on all of our social media, which is at HCP Union. We're on pretty much every platform you can think of. You can also send an email to our CEO, Brian Murray, and to our HR team. They call themselves the people team, people team at harpercollins.com, expressing your support of us. We also have a bookshop page where you can order books and we get a percentage of the money from, from that order. And you're also welcome to donate to our Solidarity Fund. There's a link to a digital way to do so on our link tree as well. Or you can send a check to our union office. Wonderful. And we will include links in the show notes as well for folks to just really cover all the bases so it makes it easy as possible for folks to support you. Are there any other sites you wanted to direct listeners to? I know you just named off quite a few, but... I'm just checking my notes to make sure I don't... No, that's it. Okay, wonderful. Well, that's great. <laughs> that's a lot of stuff. And 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 folks can donate money if they have the ability, or they can donate time if they have the ability, or they can send a letter if they don't, if they're not in the New York City area, or if they cannot contribute economically right now. So it's a lot of different ways that people can reach out and support you. And I really, really hope that they do. I can't tell you the degree to which my radical little heart supports you and your fellow strikers. I really, really hope you get all of the extremely reasonable things that you're demanding, not just for you, but as a benefit to everyone else working in the publishing industry and everyone looking to join publishing in the future. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure to sit and talk with you today. And thanks everyone for listening in. I'm Mariquita Guerrera, and we have been speaking with Erica about the HarperCollins strike, which again has been going on largely underreported, as you say, for nearly three months now as, the, as of the date of this recording. I hope that your conversation on Wednesday is fruitful and that people are there with good faith effort. Thank you so much for your time, Erica. And Thank solidarity. <laughs> I'm Ashley, a Feminist Book Club content contributor, and I am joined today with Renee. And we are here to share an update about Brittany Griner, and also to speak briefly about Damar Hamlet. For those of you who may know, Brittany Griner, about a year ago, was arrested in Russia for having a vape, of what we commonly know in the States as a vape, but it had THC in it. And that, of course, in Russia is illegal. Most of her time in prison 
was not just for having a vape, but also as a form of political propaganda, nastiness on behalf of the person who is who runs Russia, whose name I don't want to say. But looking, we've talked about Brittany looking at her as a lesbian, as a basketball player, someone who is in the WNBA here in the States, who traveled abroad in order to have a better opportunity at not only playing, but also better pay. So there were multiple grievances that led her to go to Russia to play in the NBA, where she ended up becoming a internationally, she became more internationally known because she was in prison in Russia. So taking into account her identities and playing the sport that she loves really brought an brought attention to her instead of for her activism for her work as a stellar basketball player. Here she plays for the Phoenix Mercury. In later last year, she was brought home. Her wife announced that she was released and she was on her way home. It was something wonderful to wake up to. But of course came the what about it? What about this person? Why is this person still in Russia? One person in particular was Paul Whelan, who was who served in the U.S. forces and was arrested and sentenced to a 16-year prison term or sentence for being accused of being a spy. So nothing that was confirmed. He was just accused and given this prison sentence. And his name has come up alongside Brittany's because people we're saying, well, what about him? Why isn't he home? And his family, amidst their grief, amidst their trauma, amidst their hope to bring Paul home, had to explain why it was important for Brittany to come back home. And this is what we're dealing with amidst understanding international laws and prison sentences of course, many of us here in the States are for prison reform and for abolishing prisons, making sure people have the freedom and the space to, of course, rectify their mistakes, but to not be given such harsh sentences for their crimes. And for Brittany, it was important for her to come home, one, because she, she was unjustly put into prison over something that could have just been, okay, ma'am, just throw this away. But for her to have been used pawn, that's the word I'm thinking of, to be used as a political pawn between the U.S. and Russia and our relations, there's no relations between us that are positive. And to use her as a pawn, to use her identities against her, and to have to affirm her as someone who needed to be home is a courageous. I am happy that she is home. I am happy that she is safe. I am thankful to everyone who raised their voice, raised awareness about Brittany coming home and why it was important to come home, for her to come home. I'm upset at the fact that the WNBA is still fighting to be on par with the WNBA as far as pay and coverage when most of the players are stellar 
They give incredible performances. They are dominating their careers and putting up numbers on the scoreboard, yet they are still having to supplement, having to go abroad in order to give some pay. I watched Love and Basketball yesterday and I ended up catching the scene where they're talking, where Monica and I can't remember the young lady she went to school with, but Monica played by Sanaa Lathan. She's talking with a fellow player who she had a, like a friends to, enemy to friends relationship with. Having to talk about going back home and what that meant and that someone else who they played with wasn't able to play in the league and had to go work at a bookstore. So Monica was in Spain. The other player was in Italy. And they're treated like royalty. They're treated like rock stars. They are, their caliber of playing is so above and beyond that they had to, that basically the coaches were saying, pass the ball to them because they were so great. Why can't we have that for the players here in the state? We've had a couple of podcasts now about women in sports, about athletes, whether it's about mental health, whether it's about pay, whether it's about recognition. And it's time that we focus on that. And the WNBA season starts in May. I would like, I live in Los Angeles. I would, that's probably the only reason why I'd go to that thing called Crypto Arena that they call it now. It's so gross, but that belabors the point. That's probably the only reason why I would go there. It is to support, you know, so think about your hometown where you live. Are there games available? Are there games where you can go and visit? You know, you can visit another arena, amplify, share those sports highlights, share those athletes who are speaking up and speaking out. Brittany Griner, welcome home. I know it's been a few months. I know that the coverage around you has subsided. I hope that you are thriving, you're well, you're rested, you're having a great, great meals and laughs, and that you take the time to honor what's happened to you and to honor that space and to heal. Ashley, I could listen to you as a, as a sports fan. I could listen to you wax poetic about sports and the importance of sports, the importance of women's sports and 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 the whole experience uh, watching and participating and, and playing. I just, I am, I'm so pleased to hear that Brittany's back in the U.S. I, I follow Sherelle, her wife on Instagram, and she had said that, you know, she got a phone call from, I don't think she got a phone call from President Biden, but she got a phone call from the White House that said, you need to come to the White House today. Mm-hmm. And they were not sure if Brittany was going to be coming back that day. But when she got to the White House, she was surprised by President Biden. And he said, she's on a plane. She's on a plane home. And I just thought that was so heartwarming. I'm not the biggest Joe Biden fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought it was really a a moving moment for him to go out of his way to say, hey, we're bringing your wife home. And that said, I am still worried about her because Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine Mm -hmm. the trauma that she has experienced. And as a, as a human being, no human being should have to go through those circumstances. And the fact that, like you said, that you said so beautifully that, you know, she had to go to 
Russia to play basketball because we don't pay our athletes enough. We don't pay our teachers enough. We don't pay our, our, you know, janitors enough. We don't pay anybody enough in this country. But the fact that make so much money off of these athletes' bodies and just because they don't have the same quote-unquote draw as the men's sports doesn't mean that we should be paying them decent livable dollars to where they don't have to outsource their skills to another country and put their literal lives in danger. I am appalled that we are still having this conversation about pay and women's sports. Why can't the rest of women's professional sports? I don't know. Why can't it it took so long for just one sport, the women's soccer league to a decent living? How long is it going to take for other female athletes, other female professional athletes in this country? And that's not even to say trans athletes and non-binary athletes. These are, it takes so much work to put your body in these circumstances, in these sports, and they should compensate it. That is work. So I don't know. I just, I echo your thoughts, Ashley, about supporting women's sports. And I would go so far as some of the most fun I ever had in college was the women's basketball games at Notre Dame. I, I think I've mentioned it before. I am still a huge women's basketball Notre Dame fan. But those games are just a riot. I mean, they've got like at Notre Dame, they have this like cheer block of elders of like boomers and older who all wear lime green t-shirts and are just like local folks who love to support the team. And I think that is so charming. But there's also there's always something super fun happening at women's sports games because they're trying to get more people in the stands to fill those seats. So they incentivize it with all this other stuff which sucks, but it also just makes for a really evening out with your friends and or a date night. So yeah, go find your local women's sports teams, women basketball. Basketball games don't last that long. You can do, it's the same as like dinner and a movie. Go dinner and and a basketball game. So I would say go Irish, go Minnesota Lynx, where our local WNBA team, go Team USA, because <laughs> they always dominate in the Olympics as well. And pay these women, Jesus. Yes, and I think also just pushing not just professional sports, but your local sports as well. You know, go and support the high school girls team or the, the you know, the, the different teams that are there, the soccer teams, the softball, the baseball, you know, encourage those young kids that to fill the stands. It's also just a shame that we're talking about professional athletes trying to be on paid on par or to be paid just a, a livable wage is asinine to me. You know, don't even get into college sports and how they're being, their names are being shown in the lights for coaches and the schools and all of that. They're not seeing a dime. They you know, can barely, now, thankfully. Yes, they can now. But think about how, again, when you were saying how long that fight was. Forever. Think, think about all those athletes Whose, you know, whose names were for, like, were for the school. Like, this is this school, home of Sue Bird and Diana Johnny Football. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, Vince Young for UT, Reggie yep. Bush and Matt Liner. That Listen, those, I don't want to talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, I'll, I'll turn down. You got to keep those USC players out of, out of yeah. this podcast. 
It's, yeah. it's my company. I can say what I want. Okay. I, I will change the subject then. But yes, getting... But yes, Subert. And, yes. and once let's talk about some of those famed right. basketball players. Ruth Riley and, and Pat Summit. Yes. Yeah. Sabrina, I believe her last name is pronounced Yanescu. You know, for Oregon. And, you know, how they're still, you know, championing her and her success in the league and everything like that. So, yeah, pay folks and enjoy their, what the work that they do, celebrate, be entertained. Yes, but, you know, make sure that you're supporting people at all levels. And Ashley, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the male athlete. Yes. <laughs> yes. What would you like to say? What would you like to bring people's attention to there in that situation? So DeMar Hamlin is a 24-year-old Black man, ball player for the Buffalo Bills. About three weeks ago, he playing against the Cincinnati Bengals, the NFL game. I guess you'll say ran into by another player as they were playing. And after that play, he DeMar collapsed on the field and he had a cardiac arrest. He immediately needed CPR or else he would have died. Prayers went up immediately for in support for Demar. They closed. They ended the game, and and wonderfully, within the week, he was he was alert. He the first thing he asked the doctors was, you know, who won the game. You know, still just very much in professional mode, and he, his recovery is just remarkable. And you know, due of course to. Med- modern medicine, but also the prayers and people who uplifted him during that time. Something that I really wanted to talk about were two things. One was the reaction of the players. I've, I've been watching football my whole life. I've never seen football players that distraught in their, li- in my life on both teams. Tears, hugging each other, shock, the sheer trying to understand what was happening. I, of course, we were glad that DeMar is better. He's healing. He's recovering. But I also think about those players who had to witness that. I think about the people, whether it's the viewers or the people in the stadium who had to witness that. What kind of care is happening for them? Is it just, you know, it was kind of just back to business as usual. And the coaches had to stop that game. It wasn't the NFL who was like, okay, you know, call it off. The coaches said our players will not be playing because the NFL said, okay, was saying, okay, let's just keep going, which is asinine and it's irresponsible. And it just shows you how money hungry the higher ups of the NFL are. But, you know, let's just keep playing. So the coaches said, nah, we're going to postpone this game. And it, and it was at the beginning. This was before the wild card games were happening. And I also just think about DeMar, this young man, young man, 24 years old, and being used. He's a football player. He's someone who is living his dream, yet is, you know, he could have died. He could have lost his life. And to think about T. Higgins, who hit DeMar in in the game, you know, as as his position called for. And there was a lot of love given to him, a lot of support because there was grief. He had grief about, you know, doing his job and it resulted in DeMar having this cardiac arrest. But 
for DeMar to be this young Black man living his dream. He could have lost his life. And just it, it just shows that the NFL, for the most part, only prioritizes money and these bodies to perform and to entertain, but not realizing that these bodies can break down. There have been so many injuries this season. It's it's kind of wild. Like people are talking about it's the turf, the way that the sport is played, the sacrifices and the should put on these young men to play football. Well, of course, it sounds odd to the average person who's like, these people get paid millions of dollars and da-da-da-da-da. But these are still people who are playing a professional sport that is beloved by most people in this country. So I just wanted to shed light on DeMar Hamlin. I, too, am glad that he is recovering. I hope that whatever he decides to do, that it is his decision. It's not something that he's pressured into doing. It's difficult when you love certain sports or certain activities, but you realize the repercussions of them, it's once again just being a smart and responsible viewer and participant in these sports because we may not play on the field, but we do, we are a part of why the sport is so popular and why it's enjoyed around the world. I echo all of that. When I heard about what happened, I was honestly happily surprised that the game was I don't follow NFL as much as you do, but yeah, I was really, I I know that it is a money-hungry capitalist beast, and I was really surprised. I didn't realize that it was because of the coach's decision. I'm so grateful that they were taking their players' best interest in mind. So thank you for that update. Time out. I have a lot of thoughts about being a fan of football. Yeah. Do you have the time to record, like, a second, like 15 minute conversation about ethically consuming professional sports. All right, cool. I think what we do is we wrap this one up and then we start a new one and I can lead that conversation. Okay. All right. So do you want to wrap this one up and then we'll stop and start a new recording? Cool. Yes. Thank you all for caring. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for all for supporting. You know, and enjoy what you watch. You know, you all know how to be responsible. And thank you, Renee, for the space. Of course. And we are going to be continuing this conversation down the line. We're going to put it on the back burner a little bit, but you will you will hear more from Ashley and I as women who enjoy watching sports. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Some of Us Note Cards. When Audrey started this business, she wanted to create cards that she didn't see on the market. Cards to nurture women with abundantly colorful and emotionally healing images that are a complement to self-care. You see, Audrey is an author, a professor, a single mom, and a mental health advocate. She's always found handwritten notes to be healing, and in 2022, she decided to fill her dream of being a greeting card maker. It started with a desire to capture Black life on Martha's Vineyard, and extended to include images that are important to bookish women everywhere. This small business is still grounded in her home and every day she strives to produce and share images that are crisp, strong, and beautiful. And she partners with organizations to be sure that every card she sells, she's able to make books and bookmarks available to incarcerated women and extend the ability to write to as many women as possible. We've loved partnering with Some of Us Note Cards in the past, and you can look forward to Some of Us Note Cards in the future from Feminist Book Club as well. 
but be sure you go over to someofusnotes.com and follow on Instagram at someofuscards. Remember, planting seeds of self-care, growing images we can love. Some of us cards. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature, creature, oh.